All right. How is Birmingham doing? I, I don't think I've been here at this campus. I'm most of the time at Orient, and I, had, I actually had a weekend off, and Kristen begged me to come out, and I wanted to come out. I haven't been here, I think, in three, four, five years. But I tell you what, I'm, I'm sitting right there. I'm a front row guy, and I'm like, we got two, three. We got like, okay, that's not bad. But at Orient, I don't know if you've been to Orient lately. Here's where I preach at Orient, right there. We have a thing right in front, and so is that okay if I do that? The lighting people just went crazy. They're like, you can't do that. But I feel like I'm so far away. All right, so just come up here and sit. It'll be like church when you're a little kid, you know, a little carpet square. Okay, I won't do that. Now I got to get back up. Um, here's the amazing thing. Um, I love this campus. I love what's going on here. I'm, uh, you know, I was with Cliff Thursday night. We did our Christmas premiere. By the way, you want to know the worst thing I do every year? I have to speak at our Christmas premiere. Do you know who's at the premiere? Staff. Only staff who are going to do this Christmas show at all the campuses. So while I'm preaching, they could care less what I'm saying. They have their little pens out, and they're critiquing everything I say. Yeah, we're not going to use that. We're not going to use that. That was terrible. <laughs> Would you like to do it? You're not going to do that to me today, right? No, you're not going to do that. Anyway, so glad to be here, but I may run off the stage. I told Chris Schoenbeck, I said, if my son and daughter-in-law have their baby, they're five days post-delivery right now, if I get a text on this iPad and you see me run off, Good luck. You finish it your own way, because I'm going to be there. Maybe, maybe. Kristen, you ready? Yeah, it's going to happen. It might happen. Anyway, so glad to be here. And here, you know, we're in week three, uh, you know, as we go into uh, Christmas next week. But it's really a series about what it would look like to follow Christ different than the culture. And that's why it's called The Backwards Way. And I don't know if you know Dave Gibbons' book, Small Cloud Rising. Phenomenal book, just a little book that I read in a day and just was so inspiring to me to think, uh, and this is his phrase in the book, what would the church look like if it wasn't contained on a piece of land? In other words, what would the church look like if it wasn't a building, which it isn't, by the way, it's people, but people, you and me, went wherever we go every day, work, play, neighborhood, school, you name it, and realized we are the church. Right? And so today's all about what that would look like as a church. And I thought, okay, if we're going to talk about church today, I got to tell you this great story I heard uh, about a church in the country years ago. It's a true story. This little church was meeting in the middle of the country. It was a summer day. The windows were open. And all of a sudden, in the middle of the service, Satan goes walking down the aisle. True story. He's walking down the aisle. Everybody knew it was Satan because he had a little jumpsuit on, a little pitchfork, you know. He's walking down. You get it, right? So he's walking down the aisle, and everybody starts to look and see oh my gosh, oh my gosh, that's Satan. So Satan walks right down the front of the aisle, just a little country church, goes up on stage. The pastor runs out of the church. The people jump out the windows. They're scared to death. Satan, the devil, is on the stage of the church. So everybody leaves, and there's one guy sitting where Jim is right now. He's the only guy left. He's sitting right there like this. And Satan goes like this. He goes, do you not know who I am? He goes, yeah, I know who you are. Because everybody's, you know, freaking out. He goes, who am I? He goes, you're Satan, you're the... You're the devil of hell. He goes, you're not, you're not scared of me? He goes, I'm not scared of you. He goes, everybody else is running out of church. You're not scared of me? He goes, I'm not scared of you. He goes, why aren't you scared of me? He goes, I've been married to your sister for 40 years. <laughs> I just wanted to tell a good joke. <laughs> anyway, I told that once in Orion. This guy came up to me afterwards. He goes, dude, I don't remember anything you said in the sermon, but I'm taking that one to work tomorrow. So 
Hopefully you'll remember something more than that. But here's the thing. We're talking about what the church would look like and, 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 and how that would work. And here's what I want to do. I want to draw you a chart. And as I draw this, that's why I have this whiteboard here, you'll, you'll be, you'll be uh, convinced by the end, I am an amazing artist. <laughs> I mean, I, I miss my calling because I'm an amazing artist. But when you think about, you think about how God is going to reach the world, here's how it sort of works. Here's how most people think. That's God. <laughs> That's the world, right? We got North America and South America, and we got, you know, Africa and a little Europe. There you go. Is that it? That's the world, right? And you've got God up here, and if you ask yourself or you ask anybody, what does God think of the world? Do you think of anything? Is there like a verse you've ever heard in your life that tells you what God thinks of the world? Yeah, some of you know this. There's a verse in the Bible... John 3, 16 is very famous. In fact, uh, some of you know there used to be a guy that used to go around stadiums. Anybody remember this guy? In, in Super Bowls and Olympics. I met the guy. He's a Christian guy. He's called the Rainbow Man. He put on a rainbow thing. And he would hold up John 3, 16 in end zones. When the field goal would be kicked, this sign would come up. And all he wanted to do, he, had to, he used to ask me to get tickets to the Lions at the Silverdome. Anybody remember the Silverdome? Yeah. And he would hold that thing up. And he was hoping somebody would look up that verse. Because in that one verse, it sort of summarizes God's heart for the world. Anybody know what it says? For God so loved the world. Right? So God so loved the world that he what? Gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. It's all there. I have literally on airplanes and Uber cars, in classrooms, you name it explain the entire gospel of God in one verse. Because in that one verse, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should appear should have eternal life. You can explain everything you need to know to become a follower of Christ. And by the way, you should do that. It's very simple. Two things you need to know, two things you need to do. That's it. You don't need to know 50 things. You need to do two things. God loved, for God so loved that he gave. God gave. That's it. God loved, God gave. That's all you need to know. You don't need to know if Adam had a belly button or not. Think about that one. Did he? I don't know. You don't need to know when he's coming back. You don't need to know if he created the world in seven 24-hour period. It doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is God loved, God gave. When you love somebody, you give. You don't take, you give. There it is. What do you need to do? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever. And so it's this simple. God loved, God gave. What do we do? We believe you will receive eternal life. And by the way, it rhymes. I love things that rhyme. God gave, or God loved, God gave. We believe we receive. There it is. We receive what? Eternal life. How do you believe? You trust in this fact. And so here's a, here's a drawing that says, okay, we got God up here. He loves the world, right? So what does he do? He sends his son, not just says I love the world, he sends his son to die for the world and make a provision so that the world people can know God's love, right? But here's what happens. We have all these people out here, right, that are outside these are people in the world, all right? But here's the, here's the amazing thing. How we have interpreted this and how people outside here interpret God loves the world is this way. Oops. Oh, because it's wet, it's not going to go here real good. All right. Oh, no, that's bad. That's bad. We need a dry one. We need, here we go. Oh, I better not do that. <laughs> here, we'll do this. We got to get it dry. There we go. My wife's going to kill me. Okay. All right. It's a church. Okay. I'm going to draw you a church. Should have practiced that part. Somebody give me a, a, a dry thing. Okay, so I just drew a church. 
Kristen's running right now. She's like, I, I knew we should have done this. So that's a church. So here's what we do. We take, and I think the world thinks this. The world thinks God, God doesn't just love them because they're outside the church. These are all the people outside the church. You know, and these people, oh no, everything's dying on me. These people outside the church are red people. Right? And so, you know, they think that God doesn't love them because they're sinners. Did you notice every one of them is frowning? Because they're always unhappy people, right? And they, you know, they do, they do bad things like they curse. Ooh, some of them smoke, right? How about this one? This guy. Oh, here, here's a good one. Is that going to work? Thank you know. so much. We'll, sign, we'll find out. We'll find out. We're trying to go fast. Oh, yeah, we got a little bit of a church. You couldn't miss that, right? That's an amazing drawing of a church. So, you know, it's really interesting. You got women out here, you know, they wear dresses when they go to church because you're supposed to wear a dress at church, right? You heard that, right? So, but they're sinners, and so they're far from God, and they think that God only loves church people, good people. You ever thought that? I have a brother who came up to see me last year, and he would not come in the Orient building. My son Cody was preaching that night. He would not come hear his nephew preach. And he said to me, if I go in that building, I cannot go in that building. And I'm like, Steve, yes, you can. You're loved here except here. Nope. Haven't been in church in 50 years. I'm not starting now. I know what God thinks of me. And that's what a lot of people think that are outside. They think God loves good people, church people, but he doesn't love us because we're sinners, right? That's what they think. And it's interesting. They think the only way they can find God, tell me, is how. They got to go here, go to church, go to Birmingham Groves High School on Sunday morning. And I know it's a high school, but on Sunday morning, it's a church. And if I want to find God's love, I got to go there. Now, they're out here thinking, I can't really go there. Like my brother, and there's others like that. Others just think, well, I don't want to go there. I'm not going to go there. And so that, but that's the only way they can really go there. In fact, I remember when I was a kid growing up, I had a bunch of hair, had one little bang and a bunch of hair, you know, sort of hung out there. And then I played uh, guitar in a rock band. And I am not making this up. This is the 60s, and this is a belief back then. But I was told by the church that I had to go to with my single mom that rock and roll music was of the devil. Anybody ever heard that one? And here, I'm not kidding. They got specific. They said specifically the beat on two and four is Satan's beat. Do you know what two and four is? One, two, three, four, one, two. That's two and four. Every great rock song is two and four, right? right? They said that's Satan's beat, and it's Satan's beat because when you hear that beat, you want to have sex. I am not kidding. Anybody remember this? That's what they said. So you can't play rock and roll. You think I'm making this up. I am not even exaggerating. Two and four makes you want to have sex. By the way, I've tested out that as an experiment. I play two and four rock and roll music in my house all the time. Ann's never chased me around like, let's have sex. It doesn't work. It was a lie. Yeah, I wish it worked, but it doesn't work. All right. But that's what I heard. It was like, you know, so I thought that I couldn't even go there, right? But here's the problem. If this was God's plan, love just the good church people, and everybody else that wants to know God's love has got to go get in that community, let me ask you, does that work? Doesn't work. You can do a simple Google search on Oakland County and just come up with how many people live here and how many people go to any church. And by the way, they're probably lying. 
because they want to look good, but they say, I go to church. Here, here's what I'll, I'll save you all the time. You will find out that almost a million people in this area never go to church anywhere. And we, Kensington and other churches, are trying to reach them. Are we going to reach them by inviting them to come? Now, not saying inviting is bad. Inviting is good. You should bring your neighbors and your cousin Eddie and all those people to Christmas. And some will come, but most will never come. So if that's the strategy, does it work? Nope. It's a really bad strategy. And it never was God's strategy. It never was. In fact, some of you know this, at the end of the Gospel of John, John was a disciple of Christ, writes sort of an eyewitness account. At the very end, Jesus has died, he has uh, risen from the dead, he's just getting ready to ascend to the Father. You know what he says in chapter 20, at the back of your, uh, the book of John? He says, just as the Father has sent me, I now also send you. Now, some of you are going to go, wait, wait, he's not talking to us. He's talking about his, his disciples. Well, if you're a follower of Christ today, guess what he just said to you? Just as the Father, what? Sent me, this is what we call the vertical incarnation. Anybody know what incarnation means? We're going to talk about it on Christmas. Jesus was incarnate. Anybody, any doctors here? Any chefs here? Carne, flesh. Jesus took on flesh. So it's the vertical God became, vertical came down, took on flesh. And came down. And so he came down. So, and then he said, but just as I've sent my son, now I send you. So what happens? These arrows are wrong. What should it be? You already know, right? It should be this. We, the church, move out. That's what today's called. Move out. That's it. I call it the horizontal incarnation. God incarnated in it. Now he says, I want to incarnate myself. I want to, through you, send you out, move out, and go take the church to where the people are. That is exciting. That means your workplace tomorrow. That means your playground tomorrow. That means wherever you work out. It doesn't matter. Wherever you go, he says, take me there. They're probably not going to come here, although invite them, and maybe they will. And that has happened many times over the last 29 years, even here at Kensington. But the real mission is when you walk out of these doors in, in, in two hours, I'm kidding, when you walk out of these doors in a few minutes, you are walking out on mission. I don't know if you know this, but if you're new here, you don't know this, but if you've been here around a long time, you know this. We don't let you call us your pastors. And you may think that's arrogant or you don't understand it. And, and you, of course you can, but if somebody comes up to me at Orient and says, hey, pastor, I go, hey, you knew? Yeah, how'd you know? Well, you got a suit on and you just called me pastor. That's how I know. And they don't understand why I say, just call me Dave. And here's why. Because the New Testament says you're a pastor just as much as I am. You're like, no, 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 I, I don't do this for a living. doesn't matter. My calling to stand up here is no different than your calling. It just looks different. You do the same thing. You're the pastor of your workplace. You're the pastor of your family. You're the pastor of your neighborhood. You're, the pa you're a school teacher. You're a pastor of that classroom. If you understood, oh my gosh, I'm supposed to go out, move out, and take everything I've got today and give it away. I used to tell my three sons, now they're all married and have grandkids and uh, I'm, I have my fourth one on the way. I used to tell them as they sat in church and listened to their dad preach, I said, if you don't give away what you got this week, you're never going to get it. You don't come to church, sit and take notes and do nothing with it. And some of you know that. When you start giving your faith away, you grow more than the people that you give it away to. If you lead a small group, you'll grow more than anybody in that small group. You know what I tell the marriage people all the time? They come up to us in marriage conferences, man, we're really struggling. You know what I say? I say this all around the country. Go lead a marriage group in your home. They're like, 
well, we're struggling. I go, go lead a marriage group in your home. You won't believe what will happen to your marriage. Who cares about them? <laughs> not, not really, but, you know. <laughs> but here's the thing. They may grow, but I guarantee you it's going to impact your marriage. Why? Because you're giving it away rather than just sucking it in, taking it, taking it. God never wanted us to be a sponge. He wanted us to be a funnel. He doesn't give us stuff so we can keep it. He gives us stuff so we can bless the world. It's that simple. And so all I want to do today is after that amazing, amazing drawing, <laughs> is I want to just give you one verse. And it's back in the book of John at the very beginning. And I want to just walk you through one verse that'll show you three different ways to move out. And again, you can do it a million different ways, but I think it's just three categories. In John chapter one, it says this about Jesus. It said, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. It's really an interesting verse in the Greek. It's like God is referring to Jesus as the word. So it's like Jesus became incarnate, flesh, made his dwelling, actually means pitched his tent or built his house or moved into our neighborhood and we have seen his glory. So I, I, I draw three things out of there. I think it's very simple. This is I, how I try to live every day and I'm going to, I hope inspire you to do the same thing. How do you move out? How do you make an impact on your family, on your neighborhood, on your workplace? It's this simple, and they all start with the letter S. First one's serve. Serve. Another way I'd say it is just show up when somebody has a need. The word, Jesus, became flesh and lived among us. He didn't go away. He showed up. Where? In our neighborhood. He didn't stand up in heaven and say, I love you. He came and walked among us. And if you, if you read the other gospels, it's really interesting. You think, I'm, I'm going to talk about this. We're going to talk about this on Christmas. But in Mark 10, 45, look at this. Jesus said, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. I tell you what, I've been a Christian almost 40 years. I've been in ministry almost 40 years. 33 seasons as the Detroit Lions chaplain. You knew that, right? Do you know how many playoff games we won in 33 seasons? One. <laughs> You can blame me, but not anymore, because I'm not the chaplain this year, and they still stink. Anyway, so there you go. It's not my fault. Don't blame me. Everybody's blamed me for all those years. Like, yeah, watch it without me. Anyway, so here's the thing. For 33 years, as the Lions chaplain, I've watched ministry change. I've watched people change and the culture change, whether it's in an NFL locker room or right here in your communities. Here's what I've noticed. Back in the 60s and 70s, people wanted evidence and to debate and think through intellectually, is this true? And that's still out there. But here's what I think is more true than ever. People that are outside the church, they want to see if we people in the church live it. They want to see if we live it. They don't really want to hear us talk anymore. There's been a lot of evangelical talk around the world. It's like, will you guys do something? We've got all these crises going on in the world. And what do the Christians do? Often the church is seen judging those who are going through tragedy almost like this. Well, if you would have been righteous, this wouldn't have happened. This is God's punishment. Oh my gosh! Here's what I would say. Shut up and show up. Just show up and serve. You understand what I'm saying? Somebody in your neighborhood's going through something. Don't walk over there and judge them. Literally walk in their front door and say, how can I help? They'd be like, What? How can I help? See, they see you get in your car and go to, they think probably church on Sunday morning. So what are they doing? They are now watching you like a hawk. I tell all the Detroit Line guys that came to our chapel service, I just say, guys, just know this. Everybody in the locker room now is watching you. They saw you come into this 
this uh, God thing, and they're going to see, okay, does it make any difference in his sexual lifestyle? Does it make any difference in the way he talks? Does it make any difference in the way he handles his money? They're watching because they expect something different to happen. The same thing's happening in your neighborhood. They see you get in your car and go to church. What do they see after? Do you serve? Do you love? Do you show up? Seriously, I was just thinking, the best thing you and I could do this, this Christmas, shovel your neighbor's driveway. If you're like me, you got a bad back, get a snowblower and snowblow your neighbor's driveway. I try to do it every time I do my driveway. I just go over and do, uh, uh, you know, Nick and Pam's and Dean and Nancy, couples living together right there. It's like, I don't go in there. I just, and they look out. I can see them looking out going, why is he doing that? Because I have a good sermon illustration? No, because I want them to know the love of God through what? One of his followers. That's how it works. Just show up and serve. Show up and serve. It's interesting, you know, I'm on a, a group text with all the teachers of all of our campuses, and Cliff's on that group text. And I think last week or 10 days ago, he sent one of the most beautiful pictures I've seen on our group text, you know, because he's been filling us in almost daily on how Angela's doing and what's going on, and you know all this, and that's why I'm here today, and he can't be here. And really good news is he's going to be here Christmas unless something changes, which is awesome. But he sends us this picture, and it was a picture of a Christmas tree that was in his living room that somebody put there when he was at the hospital. And here's a picture. I asked them if they had it. And it was uh, some of our staff. In fact, that's them getting it there. <laughs> that was the funny picture. They wrapped it up and they dragged it out of another house and somebody donated this, this Christmas tree. That is awesome. That is beautiful. And Cliff walks in, and I, I don't have time to show you the video, but he walks in with his little girls and he looks over and they were all like, who did that? I'll tell you who did that. Somebody that loves them showed up and served them. And I happen to know you're sitting in this room right now, some of you. And I thought, that's a picture of what move out looks like. Whether it's Cliff or your next door neighbor or somebody going through something and you realize their, their child's in the hospital or they just got a diagnosis of cancer, just show up. Just show up. It may blow them away because you've never done this before. Just show up. Why? Because they're not going to see Jesus show up. They're going to see Jesus show up in us. That's what we do. So the first one, show up. You're going to move out. You're going to become flesh. You show up and you serve. The second one is basically this. And I had to learn this the hard way. Stay. So it's serve or show up, but it's stay. He pitched his tent among us. In other words, Jesus didn't come and then say, okay, guys, see you later. I mean, he did die and go, but he stayed for three years and lived among us. Now, here's, here's my point. We often, the church, and I did this, once we give our life to Christ, we separate ourselves from these gross sinners out here, right? They're sinners and they're doing stuff that we used to do, but we're not, you know, we're perfect now and they're not. And all the perfect people live here and all the imperfect people are out there. So we separate ourselves away from them because they're dirty and we're now clean. You ever done that? I did that. When I gave my life to Christ in college, I never went to the parties anymore. I was the quarterback that was drinking and womanizing at those parties. Now I'm a new person in Christ. And I thought I've got to separate from them or I'll go back to that lifestyle. And by the way, it's a very delicate situation. You do need to separate if you're not strong enough to be around that, which I wasn't. 
but I separated and God worked in my life and I never went back. And I became in the, in the locker room known as the holier than thou dude who's too good for us sinners. And the guy mentoring me in my new Christian walk said, okay, you're strong enough now. You need to go back and shine in the darkness. Don't go back and judge them. Just go back and love them. And I was scared to do it. But I did, and I realized you have to stay. And again, I wouldn't say go back alone. Go back with another brother or sister and shine in the darkness. I coach, uh, for 15 years, I coach uh, high school football at Rochester Adams. In fact, when I was driving in, I can remember one of the last times I was at Birmingham Groves was when we played Groves years ago. Anyway, I drove in, and uh, for 15 years, the first year that I coached there, we went undefeated. And we're getting ready to go into the playoffs, and here's what had happened. Another guy, buddy of mine, one of my best friends, Rob Howland, was a special teams coach. He's a believer, and we've been uh, in a men's group for years. So I got Rob the coach with me, and so we're the two sort of Christians on this coaching staff in this high school. And these are wonderful guys. I love these guys, but they were just guys. And so in coaches' meetings, things would be said that you would never hear said in a Kensington staff meeting. <laughs> they used the F word very liberally, all right? So it's just like, and we're sitting there, and they'd pass things around. And it was just a crazy group of guys that I loved and Rob loved, and we we're trying to impact them. Well, here's what happened. After every win, they would go to the bar and talk about the game, and Rob and I would go home. Because we said we shouldn't be at the bar with those guys. And I'll never forget, we won our like ninth game and my father-in-law was up. He was my high school coach. And so I came home after the game and my father-in-law, Dick is his name, Dick Barron. He goes, hey, so what, what do you guys do after the game? This is what you do? You just come home? I go, well, you know, Rob and I sort of come home. I said, the other coaches all go to a bar right now. And he goes, what do you mean they go to a bar? I go, they go out and drink and talk about the game and, have, you know, they rehash the whole thing before we meet tomorrow morning and look at film. He goes, so why aren't you there? Now, this is my father-in-law who doesn't go to church, hasn't really ever his whole life, but he says to me, aren't you like trying to impact those guys for good? I'm like, yeah. He says, you should be at the bar with those guys. This is my non-Christian father-in-law coaching me on how to be a Christian and move out. And I remember sitting there going, what do you, he goes, why wouldn't you be there? You don't have to drink, just go and hang out with them. I pick up the phone, I go, Rob, we're going to RJ's. He's like, what? I'll be there in five minutes. I pick up Rob, we drive to RJ's, just this great little pub right there in Rochester. And I'm not kidding, I'll never forget this. The door opens, we step in, there's our whole coaching staff, 15 guys sitting there, big keg like this high, you know, on the thing. And we step into the bar. And as we step in, the entire table stands up and gives us a standing ovation as we walk in. And everybody else in the bar is like, who are those guys? Like, what? And Rob and I right then knew, oh my gosh, we have been making a statement to them this whole season that we're too good to be seen with you dirtbags in a bar. And so I sat down that night and I got a Diet Coke. Not that I couldn't have a beer, but I just thought I'm not going to have a beer publicly. So I just had a Diet Coke. And I sat beside our uh, assistant special teams coach, Jack. And I'll never forget it. He goes, hey, man, uh, do you ever cuss? I'll never get it. I go, what? He goes, I've been watching you for like four years. I've never heard you cuss one time. We all cuss all day. You've never cussed. I go, well, I might cuss some. He goes, I've never heard that. That's so exuperant. He goes, that's just so, I'm so, re- I, uh, you know, admire you by that. I'm like, really? He goes, so how long you been a God guy? 
So we had this little conversation, right? Got in the car and I started praying for Jack. Six months later, Jack Beal gave his life to Jesus. Jack now is right now serving at Orient Campus with his wife and kids who are now high school kids. And it all started by a Christian, me, showing up and staying where they lived rather than separating away. Now again, you gotta be careful. You gotta know what you can handle. But don't run away from the darkness and throw a life raft in. Go into the darkness. Why? Because you, if you're a follower of Christ, have the light of God in your life. And you're walking into darkness. And trust me, they won't act like they are looking for the light, but they're desperately looking for an answer. Why are they doing all the things they're doing? They're empty and they're searching and searching and you and I have the answer and we're afraid to go in there. I think you walk into work tomorrow, here's what I think is going on in heaven and I've got a theology degree so I know this is exactly right. It's like God's in heaven and he calls the angels over. He goes, hey, look at my, look at my boy here, Jim. And Jim's at a cubicle, you know, at work. I don't know where Jim works now, but you know, he's sitting there and he goes, watch this. I put him there beside that guy. And they're like, that guy is a, Wow. He's a sinner. Yeah, I know. But Jim's a follower of me. Watch this. He's going to shine. And so often I think God and the angels are like, okay, dude, shine. And we're down there like, to that guy? He looks at porn. He cusses. I don't want anything to do with him. They go, I know, I know, I know. That's why I put you there. Shine. Shine, shine, shine. Show up. Serve. Stay right there. Shine. I'm trying to reach him through you. I put you there and all you do is complain about your job. Embrace it and go, oh my gosh, here's what we should do at our job. We should lift up our eyes and go, who's here? Because your job's not about what you do, it's about who you do it with. Am I right? That's move out and go make a difference. So here's the last one. Ready? I got 28 seconds. Here we go. Last one is show up and serve, right? Stay. Don't run away. Stay right there and, and shine your light. And then the last one is speak. Speak. What's that mean? When it's right, when it's appropriate, tell them. We're so afraid to say the word Jesus. Tell them. I'll tell you a really quick story, and this is a long story, and I'll try and do it really quick. If you've been around kids that have been 30 years, you've heard this before, but I'll never forget this. I'm a brand new follower of Christ in college. I uh, am convinced by the ministry on spring break, instead of go down to Florida and party, which I'd done every other spring break, we're going to go down to Florida. It's called Operation Sunshine with crew, and we're going to share Christ with all the college students who are down in, in Daytona Beach to party. I go as a brand new Christian. I spend a couple days with my dad, an airline pilot in Miami. I get a car. I'm driving up to Daytona, and I pray. I've never shared my faith. I've never spoken out loud my new faith ever. But I'm going to a conference where I'm going to learn to do that on a beach, right? And so I say to God on the way to, to Daytona, I say, God, if you want me to share you even on this trip, I'm all in. I don't know what I'll, how to do it, but I'm all in. I didn't know. I was so, so new in my faith. I didn't know you don't pray prayers like that because God answers them. Like I pray that and like a minute later, there's this hitchhiker on the side of the road, big dude, big duffel bag. He's got his thumb out like this. And I remember seeing him going, oh, am I supposed to pick him up? God's like, yep. And so I see him and I get closer and he's really big. And I remember my mom said, never pitch up hitchhikers. So I drove right by. I was just scared to death and I just went by. And I didn't know what the conviction of the Holy Spirit of God was like because I'd never felt it before. But as I drove by, I felt God saying, turn around, turn around. You prayed, there's your guy. So I'm like, okay. And I knew, you know, I was doing this for God. You know, those unauthorized vehicles can't turn in the middle of the highway. I did it twice because I knew it was for God and I wouldn't get to God. So I turn, turn. I go back, I pick the guy up, gets in my car. He says, his name's Joe. He's going almost as far as I'm going. And I know I'm supposed to talk to him about Jesus. I don't know how to do this. I got scared. You ever get scared? 
I didn't say a word about Jesus. We talked about everything. It doesn't matter. I'm too scared to even mention the name Jesus. The whole time, he's in our car like two hours. The whole time I feel like now I know it's the Holy Spirit of God saying, just bring me up. Just bring me up. I'll, I'll do the rest. And I'm too scared to do it. I'm too scared to speak. So finally I did it. And I don't know how to do this. I remember I was driving and had like a half hour more with him. And I just go, hey, Joe, uh, you ever think about like God stuff? That's what I said. What a line. I didn't know what to do. And he goes like this. I didn't even look over there. Oh, I forgot to tell you this. This is important. When I asked him what he did, he said he was a Navy SEAL. A Navy SEAL. That's one of the reasons I was scared to talk about God, because if he didn't like it, he'd just, I'd be dead, right? <laughs> so I finally bring up God, and I say, do you ever think about God stuff? And he goes, I can't believe you just asked me that question. I'll never forget. These are exact words. I'm like, Why? And he goes, because my life's a wreck right now, and I'm an atheist. I don't believe in God. I never have. He goes, but I was standing on that highway a couple hours ago, and I looked up to the sky, and I said, God, if you're real, send me one of your followers to tell me about you. And he goes, would that be you? I'll never forget. I'm like, yeah, that's me. (laughs) Is it unbelievable? I lead Joe to Christ on the shoulder of I-95 or whatever it was in Florida that day. And I knew right then and there, God could use me. Me. Me? A kid from a broken home who was a hellion most of his life, who didn't know anything about God. He could use, I didn't know what to tell the guy. I just said, I don't know really what to tell you, but I'll tell you my story. And he goes, I want that. And he gave his life to Jesus. And ever since, I've been like, oh my gosh, every day, move out. Serve. Show up. Stay. Don't run away from him. Stay right there. Walk beside him. And then when appropriate, speak. And I'm telling you something. If you have the courage to just speak the truth about Jesus, you will lead people to Christ. And guess what? If you're a follower of Christ, that's what you're supposed to do, not just me. And I know what you think. That's the pastor's job. You're the pastor. That's what move out is. What would this Christmas look like if you just served, stay, and spoke? Trust me, this could be the best Christmas of your life, the best year of your life. You'll be in the baptism pool baptizing people rather than Cliff because you're the one that led people to Christ. And so here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna watch this this year-end video about Moving out. It's a beautiful picture of the way that is happening right here at Kensington, Birmingham, and all our campuses. Just watch this and watch people. Where it's like the church is not a building and not contained on a piece of land. It's people moving out to make a difference. Watch this. <laughs> 